Hey, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I am your host, a speaker, an author, and founder of the Speaking School for Women. This podcast is all about teaching women to become paid speakers. Today's show is a laugh fest. You would think we're talking about the law, so it's going to be really boring. But my guest, Sarah Feingold, is hilarious, and she knows what she's talking about. We get into that subject no one wants to talk about, even though it's always lurking. We're always aware of it. It's always like in every dark alley. It's the law. (laughs) And how, when you're a speaker, you need to be thinking about the legal aspect of your speaking business. And Sarah gives us some awesome tips to get started and what we should be thinking about and how to cover ourselves so we are safe in our speaking business. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah Feingold. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Sarah Feingold. Born an artist, Sarah decided that the best way to protect creative folk like her was to go to law school. She is currently general counsel of Vroom.com, changing the way people buy and sell cars. Previously, Sarah spent almost a decade at Etsy. You can also find Sarah giving inspirational talks, hammering silver, and chasing her toddler. Now, before we jump into the interview, I thought I'd jump over to Sarah to have her give a disclaimer. I love giving disclaimers, Angela, and thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite part of the talk. Um, I am a lawyer, but the information that I'm providing to you and to anyone who's listening is just that. It's legal information. It's not legal advice. Um, As we'll chat about, laws are complex. They may change. They vary situation to situation. Um, So if you need legal advice, you may want to speak with an attorney in your area. Perfect. How do you like that? We got it. We got it over with. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm in New York, so I think you can hear some sirens. <laughs> I was just gonna say, are you gonna be picked up in the next few minutes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ideally, no, but uh, <laughs> not gonna guarantee that. Okay. <laughs> so I thought it would be great to kind of go back in time for a minute and learn a little bit more about your your background before we jump into legal inf- information. Because one of the interesting things I learned about you is that you were the 17th employee at Etsy, and there are now over 850 employees. So I can't even imagine what it's like to start in this small startup and then grow into this gigantic corporation. So what was it like to join such a young company and then watch it grow into what it is today? Oh, it was it was surreal. So um, backing up, I did join Etsy in 2007. I was a 17th employee and the first lawyer. And as of a couple months ago, I left Etsy. So I was there for all, over nine years. So what's it like to join such a young company and watch it grow? Well, I think people think about startups and they picture in their head, I don't know, things like trampoline floors or like a wide variety of handcrafted organically locally sourced snacks or in the case of Etsy sewing machines as far as the eye can see right I mean you're picturing that um back in the day except for the sewing machines uh it wasn't like it it wasn't like what you're picturing in your head at all um when I arrived at Etsy I wasn't given a desk I didn't have training materials I didn't even have a computer or a laptop I, I brought my own computer and I sat on a couch in the kitchen and on my own laptop. And a couple of us, when we needed desks, we were told to go on Craigslist and find some desks. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. But as, yeah, yeah. And as the company grew, um, 
you know, we had people who would get us desks for new hires and, and laptops, and there are just more processes and policies and people with expertise. Um, you know, it wasn't easy at first, but um, we always kept true to Etsy's values, and it just brings me so much pride to see how much, how far Etsy has come from those early days and seeing what a difference that Etsy has made in so many people's lives. So it, it was it was a privilege for me to work there. Yeah, and, and plus you're making it all up as you go along. So you're never hearing from someone, look, <laughs> we've always done it this way, so we can't, you know, you've always got that new opportunity to throw in an idea and say, well, what about this, right? Like, did, was that a fun part of the job or was that like stressful? Super fun. <laughs> okay. Uh, super, yeah, it was fun and stressful because um, we all knew that we were doing something really special and we all knew that we had a responsibility for all of our sellers and our buyers to do it right. And so every time something was new, we wanted to be really thoughtful and make sure that everything we did complied um, with our mission and our values. Um, we didn't just want to take shortcuts. Um, so, and it, it worked out. And honestly, some of the decisions that I made back in the day are still in place today. And um, it, it really makes me proud to see how the company has grown and how much positive impact Etsy has had. And I would say you're also excited about Etsy because you are a jewelry maker and you sell your jewelry <laughs> through their site. Did you get yeah. into that to balance your left brain work in the legal field or is that something you've always been naturally drawn to? So art has always been important to me and my family. My parents are both artists. And at 12 years old, I took my first metal smithing class and I got hooked. I don't know if you've ever hammered metal or used fire to weld things together, no. but I loved it. And that was my medium. And I even took graduate level metalsmithing classes while completing my law degree. So um, how many other lawyers story. were in your class? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> yeah, such an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, I was the only one. But that was that was one of my first legal arguments that I ever gave because um, the law school wasn't thrilled about me taking um, graduate level metals classes, and I argued that those were where my clients were going to be. And plus, this was my out, my creative outlet, hmm. and um, it was it was great. I, I I love making jewelry. I have a tiny, tiny, tiny little studio in my apartment, um, and I still make jewelry. You can buy it on Etsy. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get to the links later because I definitely yep. want people to be able to find your stuff. Now, in addition to making jewelry and being a lawyer, you're also a public speaker. So what do you talk about on stage? What kind of talks do you give? So my talks basically fall into three buckets. Um, first, I give legal talks to creative groups. We talk about art and small businesses and intellectual property law. Um, once I did a five-minute Ignite talk called The Laws of Ring Pops, where <laughs> I used everyone's favorite candy, candy accessory, the ring pop, um, to illustrate copyrights and trademarks and patent law. It's a five-minute talk, and it's pretty darn awesome. Um, <laughs> did you give so out ring pops? I did, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> at the end, I had bought all these ring pops, and at the end, I, like, threw th – I'm not a very – I'm not athletic. Um, I tried to throw them out into the audience, and uh, people caught them, and some people got hit in the head with them and thought that, you know, <laughs> hey, you're giving a legal talk, and you're pelting people with ring pops, but – my aim's not very good. Um, yeah. So that was the, that's the first of the buckets of my talks. My second bucket of talks that I give is I contribute to a lot of legal panels. Um, for example, uh, different legal panels want me to talk about user-generated content, copyright law, what it's like working in-house, um, privacy law, startup law, art law, tech law, fashion law, et cetera. Uh, basically, like, anyone who wants me to speak on a panel, I'm like, sure. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the third, and I think my most ex- the most excitement I get out of giving talks is I give inspirational talks about how I cannonballed into my career and the five lessons that I learned along the way. Um, this, these, what I call my cannonball talks, are the result of so many people asking me how I got my job at Etsy, what it was like working there, and wanting career advice. And so people who are looking to take a leap into the next stage of their life, they, they love these conversations. And if they're entertaining and empowering. Um, but the best part about talking, giving my cannonball talks, is when I get emails months later and people tell me how they made positive career movements by acting on the concepts that I've provided in my talk. So. Yes, I love that yes, too. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm guessing if they're called cannonball talks, you're probably telling people to go out and like just try things, right? Do you have like one piece of advice that you make sure you tell everybody? I have five pieces of advice <laughs> that I tell people, my five lessons learned. Um, and, you know, you're going to have to listen to my talk. Just kidding. I'll tell them. <laughs> For 1995. Um, I know, right? Uh, no, they're, they're pretty simple. Um, I go into five lessons. Lesson one is create your own opportunities, and that's what you're doing right here with, with these uh, podcasts, so that's awesome. Um, lesson two is welcome no, so just put yourself out there, and, and if you hear no, big deal. Lesson three is use all the brains you have and all the brains you can borrow. Lesson four is to be kind. I think that kindness is underestimated, especially in the legal industry. Hmm. And lesson five is to say yes, because I think a lot of people, you know, opportunities come up to them and they think, oh, I can't do this. I've never done it before, but but you got to try. You got to say yes. Yes. That is great advice. Yeah. (laughs) My my five tips. Awesome. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about the legal side of public speaking, because I think there are some legal basics speakers need to have in place to be taken seriously and protect themselves. So can you give us a couple of of those just that speakers should be thinking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So first, first of all, that is that's a fantastic question. I want to get into the secret of being a good, a great lawyer, and I think maybe if any lawyers are listening, um, they might be not be thrilled that I'm giving out the secret, but I'm going to. Um, to be a good lawyer, you have to be a good reader. So every single word of a contract, you have to read it. And I think to be taken seriously and to protect yourself, be like a lawyer, read every single word in the contract. If you have a question about it, ask. If something just doesn't seem quite right, negotiate. Edit it out, talk to somebody, act with kindness, and advocate for yourself. Make sure that you set expectations. Um, Think about what you expect to do and what you expect the other side to do. Um, Also, lawyers are typically thinking like worst case scenario. And think about what could go wrong um, and what you would want to happen if things go wrong. So just make sure that everyone is on the same page, preferably in writing. Um, and that's how you can be taken seriously right there. Okay, so make sure you read everything that you get and make sure that everyone agrees on what's in writing. So that's like a great pl- first place to start. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so on this next subject, I've heard conflicting advice, so I'm really interested in what you think of it. Some people say public speakers need to protect their work since a lot of it is intellectual property or IP. And others say speakers shouldn't be afraid of others copying them and they should share their work. So I'm wondering what you think about this. Oof, that's tough. So I think conflicting advice exists um, because it really depends on the person, that person's goals, the project. And what about the project the person wants to protect? 
So intellectual property protects a lot of different things, but it protects different things in different ways. Um, the law is complex, and there's not like you know one choice for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I like to use tangible examples, and sometimes you know examples with speaking is a little bit hard to to follow. So I, I'm going to use um, a fashion law example. Um, you know, the day after an award ceremony, you know, you turn on TV or whatever, and what's available in stores? It's red carpet fashion at a fraction of the price. You know what I mean? It's like these $1,000 awards dresses are, you know, a couple hundred dollars. They are blatantly copied. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, and this is because generally U.S. law doesn't protect functional aspects of clothing. And so that's why that happens. But... Um, some aspects of clothing and in fashion can be protectable, for example, logos on bags. But even though that is protectable, I live in New York and I see fake goods all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just because it's protectable doesn't mean that jerks aren't going to try to do something about it. So I wanted to use this illustration because you can just see how complex the law is. And big companies and small independent designers we're all struggling with protecting our intellectual property um, and you know how to protect it. So people often come to me and say like, Sarah, can you help me protect myself so no one's going to copy me? And I have to look at them and say, nope, because I mean, <laughs> some of the biggest brands in the world have a hard time fighting people who are gonna counterfeit or, or, or copy or whatever. All right, so back to, to speaking. Um, I feel like as speakers, we all want to teach, we want to share, we want to inspire, and that's what we're here for. And I just want to thank all of the speakers who have been so generous with me and that I've been able to watch and take information and ideas from. Um, and yes, there are certain aspects of your talk that can be protectable. For example, large chunks of expression that are either written down or recorded are probably protected by US copyright law. But some aspects of a talk, for example, ideas, ideas are free for anyone to use. And so I really do think that there has to be some sort of balance. Um, you know, great speakers, great brands. We have to decide, you know, what we want to protect and what we want to encourage people to use and by sharing it. So I think there has to be some sort of balance. But I always like to tell people, you know, no matter what, whatever the law can protect, what it can't protect, no one can tell your story like you can. Yeah. And so no one can steal that from you. And that is something that is yours. And that should be really empowering no matter what. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so if someone says, I want to trademark my three-step process for success that I give in all my talks and that I share with my clients, would you recommend she does that? And if so, what should she do first? Oof. So this is a really interesting question, you know, a three-step process for success. Um, it's, you're raising some really interesting legal concepts concerning trademarks and what is a trademark and how, do, how are trademarks being used and infringement and what is trademark infringement um, and international infringement laws and things like that. Um, and then I will want to talk about copyrights and idea expression di doctrine. Um, and honestly, I'm, and I'm not trying to like punt on this question, if your listeners are interested in learning more about copyrights or trademarks or infringement, 
I think we probably should dedicate a podcast or two or three or five uh, <laughs> to this. It's really, really, really complicated. Okay. Um, my biggest piece of advice for somebody who's thinking about trademarking a three-step process or whatever is to do research on a legitimate website. There's a lot of bad legal advice out there on the web. Um, the United States Copyright Office website or the United States Patent and Trademark Office website um, or you might want to talk with an intellectual property attorney in your area. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to avoid this question, but like I could talk about the nuances of these laws for the next two or three days. Okay. Nonstop. Nonstop. <laughs> and no one wants that. Yeah. But I think in general, the idea of someone sharing their content and sharing their ideas is not only helpful for their audience, but it's helpful for their brand because now they're getting that information out there to more people and potentially influencing more people. So I think in that way, it's it's a really good idea to just try to share as much as possible. I agree. And I think that you could share and at the same time protect yourself. You know, if there's something that you can trademark or copyright, you can do that. And you can also explain to your audience um, what rights you intend to keep for yourself and what rights that you want them to to share. Um, and I think that by sharing things, you can become more well known um, because other people get to see it. And um, it's been so valuable. I'm so thankful to people who have shared things with me. Mm -hmm. Let's jump over to contracts for a minute, um, mm -hmm. because professional speakers use contracts to keep the agreement clear between them and the client, and you mentioned earlier how important they are. So what do you recommend speakers include in a contract? Oh, good question. So uh, again, set expectations. Make sure that all your expectations are there. Um, if something's not clear, ask questions. But as for what exactly to include, um, if you are getting paid, you want to have your fees in there, how much? When are you going to get paid? How will you be paid? Are you going to be reimbursed for expenses? Um, also think about the rights to the material you're creating, especially if you plan on presenting the same talk in the future. Like, you know, um, you probably don't want an exclusivity clause in there. Um, an exclusivity clause basically says you can only present this right here, right now. That's it. And you probably want to own rights to whatever you created to keep going. Right. Unless unless you're going, they're going to be paying you a lot of money or unless you have some sort of other arrangement with them. Mm -hmm. um, another suggestion that I have is um, how people use your name and your brand. You might want to ask that you have time to review press releases or all mentions of your name and brand um, so that you can approve it. And then think about whether uh, the conference is recording your talk and if that's allowed. Um, and how they're going to be using these recordings, uh, any sort of um, credit you want, that sort of thing. And then I would like to think about worst case scenario. You know, what if you have to cancel? You know, what if something comes up? What if, what if there's a tornado? You, know, you might want to have something in there um, that sets expectations in that sort of way. Mm -hmm. Those are great. And I think those are all like really like the core of what speakers really need to be thinking about. So those mm -hmm. are good recommendations. And just because a contract seems non-negotiable, just if somebody sends you a PDF or something like that, don't fall for it. You could ask, you can say like, hey, listen, I have a couple edits. Could you please, you know, send me a word version so I can redline? I can't tell you how many times somebody has said, oh, no, this is non-negotiable. And I've said, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> In a kind way. Be kind. Um, and, you know, because you, you, this is a two-way street, right? You know, you're providing certain services. They're providing you with certain services. So you want to make sure that you both feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. 
One thing I've, I've noticed conference organizers do is they'll often ask speakers to share their PowerPoint slides via email mm. with the audience after the talk. And I'm wondering if you think this is fair and how speakers should respond to that. Ooh, well, I think fair is a tough word. I think everyone's version of fair is different. And it really all depends on the person and the speaker and the goals. Again, I, as speakers, we're putting ourselves and our work out into the world. And so think about how you feel when, when um, you're asked for your slides and think about what the conference is paying you for or what you're getting out of the conference. Again, you know, I have received so much back even when I don't receive money. Um, it's not all just about the money. If you feel uncomfortable, you could use this request as part of your negotiation. And maybe you can find some sort of middle ground. Maybe you can provide an edited version for the audience. Or maybe you can put your website on every slide. And so that's sort of marketing material. Um, but what I like to point out to people who are uncomfortable about this is like as technology exists today, it's, it's hard to prevent an audience member from like just picking up their phone and taking a snapshot of your slides. Oh, yeah. And... Um, I've been really distracted by that in the past. Like I've had people in the front row click, you know, and then I move to my next slide, click. And I prefer to say to them, like, listen, I'm going to give you my slides because it's distracting when you do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, also if they click and send you and, and, you know, they might be posting them on Twitter or something like that. And that could be great. You could get, you know, more speaking engagements because other people see it. So, you know, I, you know, at one point in time, I had somebody that was taking so many photos of my talk, and I started to get annoyed, and I realized that they were tweeting really nice things. <laughs> they were saying how awesome I was, and I thought that they were just, like, not paying attention. You should have a media section in the back of the room, like, for everyone oh who's going to be tweeting. <laughs> Please, Please go back there if you want to be annoying. <laughs> but, no, it was great, and she was saying the nicest things about me, and my brain was going to oh my God, she's taking advantage of my copyrights and what is she doing? <laughs> so I just prefer to give away my slides and have faith that you know it's gonna come back to me in some positive way. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just what I do. But again, it's really up to each person and thinking about the pros and cons. Yeah, and I guess negotiating that up front and recognizing that's an added value for the audience members means that now you have a negotiation chip so you can ask for something else and maybe mm -hmm. the, you're more apt to get it. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I should ask this question or not, but uh -oh. <laughs> do you have any legal nightmares from the world of public speaking that you can share with us so listeners know what to avoid? <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Sure. Yeah, no. You know, I mean, um, for me personally, um, I, I've had some bad speaking gigs just in general where I felt like I did a terrible job and then afterwards people told me what a great job I've done. Um, so those, that was my own personal nightmare. But some of the biggest legal nightmares that I've heard about just come out of miscommunication. Either the conference and the speaker have different assumptions and then something happens um, or somebody is like relying on certain research that they did and it was not the right research because there's a lot of bad information out there. Um, Again, I think a lot of legal nightmares uh, stem from miscommunication and, you know, read your, read your contract and if possible, invest in a lawyer. It can really be money well spent, especially if you're, you're very serious about moving forward with um, a certain arrangement. You want to be really careful. Okay. Um, yeah. I have a, a question that's not legal 
<laughs> not related to the law, but one that I like to ask my guests who are also speakers, mm -hmm. just because I think as speakers, we're always thinking about new ways to market ourselves. Like what would, how can we get the most bang for our buck? Where can we be spending our time? And I'm wondering if you were a brand new speaker starting out today, where would you put most of your marketing time and money? Who? Um, so I think if I were a new speaker today, and this is what I did when I was a new speaker, I would put a lot of my marketing money and my energy into thinking about my niche target audience. I would think about where they go, what do they read, what concerns do they have, um, how can I add value? And then I would ask for opportunities and I would create my own opportunities. For example, maybe I'd set up my own speaking gigs and I would market, market it directly to this audience. Um, I would always start small. I don't think that when you're starting out, you should like, you know, just spend a ton of money on one thing. Um, and I would always ask for feedback uh, and carefully tailor pitches for existing conferences to just show your value added. And don't be afraid to work for free because you could practice and build your expertise. Um, lawyers tend to say that we throw all arguments on a wall and we see what sticks. And I think that that's exactly what I would do as a brand new speaker. I would put myself out there and just see what sticks and experiment. Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking about finding your target audience, mm -hmm. trying to understand like what they're reading, where they're going, did you yeah. actually talk to your target audience or did you mm -hmm. just kind of observe them and try to understand like which blog posts are most popular and stuff like that? Um, well, I actually talked with my target audience. So for example, I took a lot of art classes and so I would talk with my art students or my, my colleagues and I would say, you know, what legal questions do you have? And I'd write them down and what would you want to know about? And, and I would write that stuff down and I would try to answer them. And I created PowerPoint presentations and I approached art galleries and places that people create artwork. And I told them, hey, listen, these are some of the questions that I've heard from people that take classes here. I'd love to you know, give this half hour presentation um, to whoever wants to show up. And so that's how I started, and just by talking to the, my audience. Yeah, exactly. And like giving yeah. yourself that chance to sort of get used to being on stage talking about a certain subject with a small audience before you go out and start asking for $5,000 for an hour because I know right. everything. <laughs> right. I mean, I've, I've had as small audiences as like three people and as big audiences as 2,000. So I think it's more intimidating to talk to three people. Than... I do too. Yeah. Why do you say that? They're staring right at you. <laughs> yeah, and they're like right three there. feet away. Yeah. <laughs> like, hi, it's just us. Um, it's basically a conversation, but I'm like in charge here. As opposed to 2,000 people where, you know, they're just blending into a big blob and they seem happy. <laughs> blob seems okay. Is there anything else you want to share um, about public speaking, about the legal side of it? Um, just in public speaking in general, Public speaking, in my case, wasn't my end goal. It was a way for me to build my brand and my career. And speaking really helped me to learn about a lot of legal topics and a lot of topics in general and how to communicate them. Um, and it was really a great way to talk with my potential clients. And panels were great and are great to meet amazing, amazing people. Mm -hmm. So I just want to put out there that there are so many benefits to speaking. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir because <laughs> I'm sure all your listeners love speaking anyway and want to speak more. Um, but other than being paid, there's just other benefits out there about increasing your brand um, and that sort of thing. But on the flip side, 
I, I just want to be real here. Every time I speak, I have like imposter syndrome in my head telling me that I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I just have to keep telling my voice, those voices to, to go away. And, you know, sometimes I'll leave a speaking gig thinking I did a terrible job. Um, and, but other people don't know. <laughs> they seem to think <laughs> I did okay. So it's always rewarding. So I just kind of want to put that out there that, you know, first public speaking can be a way to get to other things. And no matter what happens, you probably did better than you think. <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the things I always say in my speaking school is that public speaking is like getting a master's degree in your own psyche because <laughs> because of what you're talking about. You like deal with that imposter syndrome leading up to the talk and then you like have to face your fear and give the talk and then you have all of the like challenging your own beliefs and like what actually happened on stage after the talk. <laughs> right. So do you have any stories or anything you can share about what you've learned about yourself as you've become a more prominent public speaker and done more? on stage I think what I've learned about myself is I'm a fast talker <laughs> um, you know I I really I didn't think I would enjoy public speaking when I first started I kind of threw myself into it because I wanted to build myself up somehow as an expert but I've really enjoyed it and I've really enjoyed keeping in touch with people and I think what I've learned is how much I can learn from other people especially on panels um, I don't, as for my psyche, I'm, I'm a pretty spastic person anyway. So I think that that comes across on stage too. Okay. Um, but no, it's been great. I really like public speaking. Awesome. Well, let's jump into our lightning round. We're going to do our six quick questions with Sarah. Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Tell this to everybody you meet. Um, you never know who knows someone or something. Do not be shy about it. Um, and you know, don't be too annoying, but I'm pretty annoying. Don't be too annoying, but just tell everyone your goal. If you want to be a well-known speaker, tell people about it. Awesome. And number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I do. I have a personal mission statement and I'm going to read it. Yes. Um, I empower the dreamers, partner with the doers, educate the thinkers and inspire the aspiring. But most importantly, I hold hands with my spouse, sing with my child, and melt metal with fire. Wow. Did You wrote that yourself? <laughs> All by myself. I love that. That is Thank so great. You. I'm going to definitely you. put that in the notes for the show. Okay. <laughs> put it in the notes. <laughs> Number three, what advice do you give to your 25-year-old self? Um, my 25-year-old self, I think, was studying for the bar exam. Um, so I think my 25 year old self, I would just say, relax. You got this. Keeping hungry, keeping curious and uh, try new things. Mm -hmm. And maybe I was unemployed when I was 25. I was really stressed out at that time. I think maybe I just graduated law school or studying for the bar exam. Um, that, that was, that was pretty stressful. Yeah. Um, number four, what advice do you have for your 75 year old self? Keep being hungry, keep being curious, keep trying new things, um, and relax, because I could really use that. Number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Uh, this, is, this is really hard, but I think I would pick tape. I'm not sure if I would pick scotch tape or duct tape or that pretty washi tape that you can like decorate boxes with, um, but I would pick tape because I like to fix things. I like to be transparent. I'm a little bit creative, a little bit scrappy. I'm a little bit quirky, 
but tape is necessary like and everyone likes tape so i want to be like tape who doesn't like tape <laughs> yeah. don't you like tape i do love tape i have tape on my desk at all times see everyone so i wish i were more like tape so i would want to be like tape yeah it's so useful <laughs> and it's it stick it's sticky like you can't forget it right yeah yeah <laughs> tape <laughs> <laughs> number six what does it mean to you to claim the stage ah uh, um Having external and internal confidence that your actual steps are leading in a positive direction. Hmm. That's awesome. Is there yeah. anything you'd like to share with my audience, like any upcoming events or offers? Sure. Um, I have like basically five things I can share. First is my jewelry. So if you want to check out my jewelry, go to findgoldjewelry.com, F-E-I-N-G-O-L-D, jewelry.com. My jewelry is pretty awesome, if I do say so myself. I've it been is. making it since I was 12. And I do not have the stuff I made when I was 12 on there. It's awful. <laughs> you <laughs> should definitely put pictures, though. Oh, my God. It's so bad. I just I think about my poor mom wearing whatever jewelry I gave her, and, and I'm just like, I'm so sorry. It's so bad. It's way better now. It's better. Do you think she always would point to it and go, yeah, my 12-year-old daughter made this? So I no, to... she loved it. No, I think she was just like... This is the best thing ever. She's very supportive. <laughs> I have the best mom. Oh, that's cool. Um, second, I'm actually working on a book right now about being an early employee and the, uh, the first attorney at Etsy and focusing on the five lessons I learned along the way. So uh, I'm currently shopping for a publisher, if anyone knows these sort of things. Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have the book proposal already. I just have to edit it, so... You know, once you speak, I've given these talks so many times. I, everyone says, you should turn this into a book. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? The cannonball approach. Uh, cannonball, that's what it's called. Uh, <laughs> the third thing is I actually do have a book, and it's an ebook. It's titled Copyright for Artists. It's for sale on Etsy, of course. Um, and it's required reading for certain graduate level business classes, which is pretty darn cool. Yeah. Um, and for your listeners, I'm offering a 30% off discount. If you put in the coupon code stage 16, S T A G E one six at checkout. Um, and it's available at attorney Sarah, A T T O R N E Y S A R A H dot Awesome. So that's where you can get that. And fourth, if any of your listeners have a, um, a ClickBank account and they have a blog, I have an affiliate program through ClickBank. So if they want to sell my ebook, they can make money and I can make money too. Um, so hit me up if you want to do that. And to hit me up, number five, <laughs> all my information is at sarahfeingold.com. Awesome. You have so much going on. This is I great. I have so much. You're I like, hey, job. <laughs> I'm going to take full advantage of this moment. Let's let's get it all yeah. out there. <laughs> I mean, you're the best, and you have the best theme song, and you have the best <laughs> listeners, so clearly. Can I share the email you sent me last week? <laughs> sure. <laughs> when you were like, yeah, I was walking down the street, and I found myself humming a tune, and I realized it was your podcast theme song. <laughs> I was like, why am I humming this song? What song is this? Oh, right. <laughs> so I had to tell you. Yeah, that made my day. I laugh. I still laugh about that. It's great. <laughs> it's a good song. Did you write it yourself? How did that happen? No, I wish. I don't. I found it on a website. I was looking at like royalty-free music, and I was like, I don't know if this is gonna work, but I'll just see what's out there. And I found this song. I think it's called "Sweet Success." Yes. And it's just, so good. yeah, it like, like I told you, it like totally reminds me of a pie cooling in the window, even though I've never seen that in real life. 
but it I doesn't just... exist in real life. <laughs> it doesn't, but it, like somehow there's a visual in my mind <laughs> that has been created by that song. Well, it got in my head. It's very sticky, so like a pie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and tape. And tape, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's awesome. So much great information. It's always great to talk with you. Thanks, Angela. Thanks for having me. There you have it. My interview with Sarah Feingold. Isn't she hilarious? We had a great time recording this. I hope you got a lot out of it. And don't forget, my newsletter comes out every week, and I always put all kinds of stuff in there about public speaking tips, upcoming offers, my speaking school for women, podcast episodes, special deals, stories about my weird life, anything. So if you're not on my newsletter yet, make sure that you go over to AngelaLucier.us, my website, and sign up on the homepage. It's right in the turquoise bar. Super hard to miss. And once you sign up, you're on the list. You'll get everything you need. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please consider leaving a review and subscribing. Would love to have you come back and check out future episodes. And as always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.